You are listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast. You can find us at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Happy listening. Last week, Andrew was talking to us about uh, the spiritual principle of double negative faith. And the moment in the video when he started to laugh and said, don't worry, I'm going to explain this, I thought, thank you. And by the end of his examples, I was there, and I hope that you were there too. What I have a sense to do this morning is to, to take the baton of what he passed to us last week and to give you my perspective on it and what I believe the Lord's saying. And a bit like we've got a diamond in, in the middle of the room, and Andrew's looking at it from his perspective, and I'm going to look at it at mine. And hopefully you'll find some benefit and application of that. He used the example of the seatbelt, which I loved. Um, and you and I are metaphorically trying to get up and out of where we are, but being held back by the seatbelt. Can I ask, did any of you connect with that analogy in any way? Yeah, okay. So here's a little, uh, just a recap, the awkward moment that if none of you nodded, we all just go, oh, no. So let me just give you a brief recap as to what Andrew said. So he was talking about raising the bar, applying the spiritual principle of double negative faith, releasing the seatbelt, the restriction and the weight of the mindset or worldview that is deceived into believing that asking, seeking and knocking and gnosko yada or yada gnosko, knowing the truth as in having a personal experience of it will set us free is compatible, is compatible with yielding to entertaining and agreeing with the possibility that God will not do what he said he will do. And the invitation of Jesus is that we live life in all its fullness um, and that the lie is that actually we can believe that on one side in some areas of our life and yet in others believe that it's not possible at all. So therefore we experience the seatbelt when we yield to that double-mindedness because we're deceived. We believe we can seek the truth in faith and at the same time, whether it's unconscious or consciously entertain and even nourish fear, fear, worry, and anxiety. And I am confident that all of us at some places in our lives are likely nourishing fear, worry, and anxiety, but it doesn't need to be that way. So all of us are on this journey in finding freedom and in wholeness, and we need to be released and it's about the separation of the soul and the spirit and letting our spirits lead us with his spirit, Godward. But the main point is that we lack integrity, that we are not one in thought and in action. So today's message I've called releasing, finding and pressing. So we're thinking about the seatbelt. So it's about releasing or it should be actually realizing, finding and pressing. So we want to realize that we're held back then we want to find the means by which we press the button and then it's about pressing the button and getting out of the car. So like in all of these things that we do, like brushing your teeth, if you're teaching a child to brush its teeth, you realize how complex it is. Find your toothbrush, hold the toothbrush, get your toothpaste, squeeze the toothpaste, then somehow use your motor skills to get the toothpaste onto the toothbrush, then learn the different ways of, I remember I used to do super brush for the kids, really, really fast, they loved it. Claire was always slightly concerned it was causing them friction burn on their gums. But, you know, brushing, no, she wasn't at all, sorry. Brushing their teeth, then rinsing it, and then putting it away. 
So we can say brush your teeth, but there's always a breakdown of the component parts of the process. So part of what I'm hoping to do this morning is to just unpack it a little bit. So I'm going to read to you a couple of verses. This is Romans 8, 5 to 9. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind of the flesh is hostile to God, doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are controlled by not control. <laughs> you, however, are not controlled by the flesh, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and then uh, one of our foundational verses in DCB Romans twelve two: Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've all been there, haven't we? We know the stuff. We have a mental ascent to it. We've maybe had God speak to us and we've wept, maybe wept or been elated when that's happened. We've felt it in our emotions. There's been hope and there's been promise. It's been a mountaintop and there's clarity. There's single vision and understanding of the dynamics of what's going on. You feel like you're in a great place and you're, yes, you're all there. You've been, some of you don't look like you've been there, but I'm sure and confident that you have been that you're excited to go forwards and then life hits. And I was going to add in my bed and then you get a text and you're out the back camping and living in the man cave and isolating. Your life stops and all of the stuff that you preached about, all of the stuff that you were saying, all of the stuff that you were deeply convicted about and had a grasp on seems to be like sand that runs through your fingers. I really hope you can connect with that. The unexpected hits, and in the past 15 months, we've grown accustomed to the shaking, haven't we? We're kind of living in this area, this state of being on high alert, whether we recognize it or not, that everything could change in a heartbeat. Our holidays, our plans, our meetings, our work, it could all just fall apart and change. We've learned how to deal with not being at church, how to live not sharing with our friends and eating with our friends, seeing our friends, hugging our family. And what tends to happen is that the enemy picks up the story he's been narrating all our lives, doesn't he? And connects one little chapter to all of the rest of the book. Sometimes it's even just a paragraph and sometimes it's either even just a sentence or a word that connects you to all of the dark negative stuff that's happened in your life before. Anybody else? The mind of our flesh rears its ugly heads and it's protected by, and I want to read this a couple of times, the mind of the flesh or our own understanding and our souls is protected by our emotions, by our perception of the reality of our circumstances, by our misunderstood and unhealed past history, and by the soulish understanding of others. So let me say that again. The mind of our soul, our understanding, or the mind of our flesh is protected by our emotions the perception of the reality of our circumstances, our misunderstood and unhealed past history, and the soulish understanding of others. And in all of this, we've got to learn, and this is where we'll pause on that bit and go to the, this It's like the DCB disclaimer about condemnation. We'll have to learn to ignore condemning thoughts and feelings. 
There is absolutely no point in feeling condemned. Condemnation is the enemy's ground. You and I are learning, aren't we? We're disciples and we're on a journey. We don't get it right all the time. We also don't get it wrong all the time either. And we're certainly learning to get it right more than we used to. Whereas condemnation will just stop you and stunt your growth completely. And I also want to point out that after nearly 15 months since the shaking began, you're still here. Sharing communion, logging on and listening to a message, whether you would rather be somewhere else, you're still here, which I'm going to take as indication that you're still on the journey. You and I are still learning how to live life in the kingdom of God and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God is not keeping score. And the reason why he's not keeping score is because he's already won. And we're in this lifelong process of learning how to live in his victory. And it is all about how you think. As a church, one of our house specials, so to speak, which is always available still on the website, is the Mind Matters series. Our journey with God rises and falls on our minds and how we think. And I want to, I don't know whether any of you have heard of the game, This Floor is Lava. You raise your hand if you have. If Yeah, a couple, couple of nods. Okay. So this is what we, we I just thought. I hope that I haven't got this game wrong. So I stuck it into Google and Wikipedia says, the floor is lava is a game in which players pretend that the floor or ground is made of lava or any other lethal substance. So you choose yours. Please don't share it. It could be disturbing what you come up with, such as acid or quicksand. And thus must avoid touching the ground as touching the ground would kill the player who did so. Okay, so you're in the game. Imagine, I'm just sorry, I'm just looking at the Begalies at the minute. You're both standing on your sofa, as is Cain. You cannot get to anything that you need because if you get on the ground, you are dead. All right? Do you get the seriousness of this situation? Am I the only one here? Sort of? Yes? Okay. Stay with me on this. The enemy began a game of the floor is lava with us in our immaturity. What? He did. Like Andrew said last week, we've been deceived and we've believed a lie. Remember the phrase I've used several times, your destiny lies beyond your strongholds. Chris Vallon of Bethel, he's one of the pastors there, describes a stronghold as a house of thoughts. And if you've been playing the game, the floor is lava all your life and you didn't know that it was a game, you didn't know that what you deemed as success in avoiding being burnt was actually failure because it's not real, that the floor isn't actually lava or your chosen lethal substance, and the floor is actually what you need to walk on. Are you with me? The enemy's been training all of us to play this game, and the game is that you're not allowed to go there because if you go there, you're going to die, when the truth is actually that the thing that we have learned to fear is actually the place where we're going to find our greatest freedom and liberty. Here's a question for you to consider. Regardless of the truth that the floor isn't actually lava, if all your life you've believed that it was, if all your life you've been told that something is lethal, that you shouldn't go near it, and you discover that actually that is the thing that you need to walk on, what emotions are you going to feel as you step down from your safe place and onto the floor? Are those emotions going to be, I have the freedom and victory in Jesus Christ? If that's what you're thinking, that's not been my experience. 
my experience is that I am put in your word that we're going to bleep out, terrified when I step out on what God asks me to step out on. Because all my life I've been told that I shouldn't go anywhere near it. Anybody else there? And if you and I then believe that our emotions are the sole litmus test of reality, then what I'll do is I'll go, that doesn't feel safe anymore. And I'm going to exit the place where I feel afraid and go straight back to safety. It's going to be negative. You're going to experience negative things. You're going to expect death. And I want you to please note this part of the message more than anything. I believe that the Spirit of God wants all of us to really know and to highlight that when we walk into the purposes and plans of God into our life, because our destiny lies beyond our strongholds, it will not feel like victory or like freedom. It will feel like impending death and doom. Because your thoughts, the strongholds in your life have informed and led your emotions to believe the lie and respond to the lie that what is actually not true is true to cause you to get off the ground and back up onto your safe place. It's a bit like, have you ever got chips in your car? You go to the chip shop, you stick them in your car, and then a couple of hours later you get back into your car and you're like, oh, what is that smell? Oh, yeah, it's like, what? That smells like evil or a toilet. Why does it even smell like that? Can you all, yes, you've all been there. It doesn't dissipate quickly. Therefore, when you go on the journey of uh, going after God and he leads us to go into the places that have been difficulties and places that we've run away from. Those old smells, those old emotions take their time and dissipating away from your life. It takes time. When you know that your deceived emotions have been lying to you, it opens up the way for you to disbelieve them, to make a choice. You can then stand your ground as the tsunami of emotions crash over you and watch them dissipate. I don't know whether you've had that experience yet. Most of us fear that when that comes. Certainly I do. But I've had a couple of moments in my life. Fear emotion-wise comes and lands on top of you and crashes down. And then if you still stand your ground, you reel that actually it's all right. It's going to be okay. And those emotions no longer have the hold over you. Today, we're talking about realizing, finding, and pressing. And you are, and I are in the process of realizing what's held us back. The seatbelts that have kept us back from getting out of the vehicles that have taken us to places that we didn't want to go. You can't deal with what you can't see. And God always shows us the problem before he presents the solution because you can't deal with what you can't see. And then carrying on the seatbelt analogy, you must find the button that releases the restraint. And the button is you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, Johnny up 32. Pressing on the button, stepping out of the car can be the scariest bit because it's unfamiliar. And we do tend to stick to the negative stuff because it's familiar. And there's a twisted comfort in the familiarity of what we've been regularly damaged by. Isn't that right? Better the devil you know. I'd rather not know any devil, to be honest. So we need to be strong and courageous. Press the button, apply the truth, and get out of the car. What is important for application is that you take this and see your own circumstances in it, and you get free. Your floor isn't lava. 
You don't have to play the game anymore. There's a far safer place available to you than the comforts of your own soul. And that place is on your father's knee and in your father's heart. He is all sufficient. His grace is enough. He has everything that you need. The world is a perfectly safe place for you to be in the presence of your God. And even if the journey has caused a breaking within you, anybody else feel a little bit broken and damaged throughout these past seasons and where you've been led to? Don't take the score at half time. He will heal that too. And I don't know that I have ever really quite understood this verse until uh, I was typing all of this up. Job 5, 17 to 18. Blessed indeed is the man whom God corrects or the person whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty for he wounds, but he also binds up. He strikes, but his hands also heal. I don't want to be broken. I don't want to be struck and I don't want to be injured, but I do want to be healed. And I do want to know the one who can do that. Look at Joseph, father's favorite, hated by his brothers, sold as a slave, finds success in slavery, must think, I'm getting there now, is betrayed, imprisoned, finds success in his imprisonment. Then a door opens as he interprets a dream and he thinks, oh, oh, we're getting there, we're getting there. Two years pass, absolutely nothing. Then all of a sudden, he's thrust into a place of an unimaginable power as the second in command over the superpower on the earth at the time. And because of his choice to not believe the lie, he leads his own family to an, on an incredible journey of restoration. And we don't hear this properly when we set Joseph up as, ah, oh, Joseph was just a man just a person that's all he was the bible exists to tell us stories of other people like you and i who decided to partner with god his life is documented for us as an example of the pattern of a life that wasn't diminished by the blows that it received but flourished because of his awareness of and decision to partner with his god so it's time to get some vision Time to, it might happen because I was watching Mulan last night, you know, the new Disney, the redo of it. Oh, fantastic. But rise like a phoenix from the ashes of your yesterday to be tomorrow's man today. This is not the end score. No matter where you are, isolation is not my life. I'm not doomed to live out in a one-man tent in a man cave. It's only part of a process of something that I don't fully understand what he's doing. And if I'm being honest, I don't really want. But in my spirit, I want anything that he's going to give me. So what do you still need to give your yes to? What do you need to let him open up again? What wounds do you have that you're scared of going back to him? Because what will he do next? You need to go back to him because he's the only one that can heal you. Where's the floor lava in your life? Where are you still playing a game that you don't need to play anymore? And where are you held back by a seatbelt that there's just a simple press and a click? Where have you started on your journey of healing and wholeness and gone backwards because your emotions didn't match up to what you thought it would feel like 
or look like. I want to ask us to respond. So if you can stand, would you stand with me? And I've got some questions to help you to do that. Do you need or want to realize what's holding you back? What seatbelts there are in your life where the floor is lava? Do you need courage to believe that you have the strength to press the release button and get yourself free? And then finally, do you need healing for damaged emotions? If you can answer yes, then, well, I'm not going to do that. There, there, I'm just rolling into it. If you can answer yes to any of those questions, then please come and join me at the front. Please, Lord, let that be sooner than we think it is. Let me minister to us. Holy Spirit, it's with a, a passion that's not my own that I give this this morning. I ask, Lord, that the passion that is present coming from you via me would be present in those who are watching this or who are listening to it. Passion that this isn't it. Passion that we are not the wounds that we've received or the disappointments that we've endured. Passion that you have done it before and you will do it again. Passion that we don't have to live in the lie anymore. God, would you expose to us, show us the places where we're being held back or where we're playing the enemy's game. And Lord, would you impart the faith to us that we are fully persuaded by you that you're enough, that our actions will be met with your grace. And in Jesus' name, I release healing now, healing to emotions that are battered and bruised and damaged, fearful emotions, emotions that have kept us somewhat safe that they would yield themselves now to the presence of the Spirit of God. That the rebellious emotions would yield themselves to the presence, to the kingship of the Spirit of God. That we would find freedom and wholeness in every aspect of who we are, in every life that we touch and in every aspect and every action that we make. And ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast. Remember to check us out at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk and have a great week.